0: Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources,
1: please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we're in a six-week series uh, called Empowered, where we're looking at the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. We are in a church, Vineyard, who is set in a movement who believes in the power, the presence, and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're taking this next six weeks, well, five weeks, leading up to Pentecost at the end of May to experience the Holy Spirit. As we kicked off our series last Sunday, um, we we learned that the Holy Spirit is not some kind of mystical force that's kind of out there. He's not uh, a holy ghost as it were uh, translated in the King James. He's the Holy Spirit. He's a person to be loved, to be cherished and adored, experienced and um uh, by by his people and so we looked at as by way of introduction who the holy spirit is and we said that last week the holy spirit is a revealer and he's always revealing he reveals jesus to us even our salvation story when we first come to know jesus and to love jesus it's the holy spirit who makes that possible We are reborn by the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit power in this person of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the grave. And so a lot of times the evangelical church in America um, devalues the person of the Holy Spirit for a number of different reasons. And so we're joining with hundreds of other Vineyard churches all across the country to focus on the Holy Spirit in this lead-up to Pentecost. So I think it's um, definitely deserved to take a closer look at the stuff that the Spirit does. When we read Paul in 1 Corinthians and he talks about spiritual gifts, we're familiar with some of these passages. The more accurate Greek translation uh, for well, Eben's paraphrase would be the stuff the Spirit does. They're not really like gifts, like here's a present. It's just the stuff the Spirit does. And so we're going to take the remainder of our time leading up to Pentecost looking at the stuff the Spirit does. And Walt kicked us off on Wednesday night and a great time together and learning about healing in Jesus' heart for healing, for physical healing, for emotional healing, healing of trauma, past wounds, that sort of stuff. Jesus loves to heal. And so the big idea this morning is that the Holy Spirit is a healer. Last week we said he's a revealer. This morning... The Holy Spirit is a healer, and he is moved when we exhibit faith for healing. The Holy Spirit is a healer, and he's moved when we exhibit faith for healing. And how many of you know just how deep the need is for healing in every single one of us? Gosh, all you need to do is look at the news this past week. Our world is utterly in shambles, broken into a thousand million different pieces. When Ralph Yarrell uh, goes to pick up his brother and accidentally goes to the wrong house and a teenager is shot in the face. I mean, what, whatever happened to answering the door and asking the question, may I help you with something? May, can I help you? <laughs> right. Our world is broken. And that story played out not just once in Ralph Yarrell's life, but three different times amidst other instances of gun violence across the nation, it's just broken beyond repair, beyond our repair. Politics can't fix it. Systems can't fix it. The systems themselves are inherently broken. Where can we go for healing? What does healing look like in today's world, in a world that is beyond broken? Well, a couple of quotes to start us off with, and then we're going to look at a video. Randy Clark is known for his uh, healing ministry all over the globe, and Clark says this. He said, God moves in power, in signs and wonders, healing the sick, in deliverances from demonic possession or oppression, multiplying food for the hungry, raising the dead, primarily for this reason. I love it. He is good. And it's his desire to reveal his goodness, his glory in all of the earth. Wherever there's brokenness, God wants to show his goodness to those places all over the earth. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, said this. He says, you can't learn how to heal the sick by reading a book or mastering a technique. In classic Wimber fashion. You believe what Jesus promised, and then you get to go out and do it, and this is just the best. It's not just about being biblically literate. We must also become biblically obedient. Love that. We're going to show you a clip. This is from John Wimber. He's the founder of the Vineyard, started the Vineyard Movement out of Southern California in the late 70s, and here's what he has to say about doing the stuff. This is doing the stuff, uh, the stuff that the Spirit does, and I want us to hear this in the context of physical healing, specifically, but we're going to roll this clip. This is Sean Wimber speaking at some Vineyard Conference years ago, still true to our situation today.
0: You like that one? Huh? How about You like that? And the fishes, you know, the sirens, the house picture saying. I like that <laughs> stuff. I like all that stuff, you know? I like the one he went by the big tree and said, hmm. You know? <laughs> and died. Uh, and you think you that? I like all that stuff. I like, it, I heard it last night, come forth. That's a biggie, you know? I mean, that's hot. There's not many guys in that, come forth, you don't telling anybody to come up from the dead. I like all that stuff. And when I became a Christian, I thought that's what I was going to do. I spent several weeks reading the New Testament and talking to these people, and I thought, this is great. You know, I'm a grown-up. I'm going to do this stuff. And so I remember the frustration of attending church the first few times. You know what I thought we did in church? <laughs> this is how stupid I was. I thought you that people gathered in the church, had a good time together, sort of divvied up the land, and everybody went out and healed a few, cast out a few demons, and won a few people to Christ before lunch. (laughs) (laughs) And so, the first few times I went to church, I went prepared for the idea that we're going to, you know, ah, I'm going to take Amine. I want to go to Amine. The deepest, darkest, heavy Amine. Over there by Disneyland. That's where I want to go. Because that's where I and when they didn't do it, I was disappointed. And I remember one day asking that guy about it. I said, well, when do we go out and do it? He said, what? I said, when do we go out and do it? He said, oh, you don't have to do it. You just have to believe it was done once. <laughs> now that's okay. <laughs> about it, we prayed over it, we gave to it, but we never did it, we never got to go do the things that Jesus did, and I grew disillusioned in the process, now you know, when I worked for the devil, he let me do this stuff, <laughs> somebody's got to start believing this book. And that's the And I figure
1: it
0: might as well be us. <laughs> <laughs> We're
1: about five. We could read and write, most of us. And we understand that it can be done. Right? I think... I'll, a lot of us relate with what Wimber is saying there when it comes to healing, when it comes to physical healing, whether it's in our own lives or in the lives of those we love or random person on the street or a coworker. Um, we become frustrated or disillusioned. I think we have this idea that we we believe, oh yeah, God, you're... You're wonderful. You're, you can heal people's bodies. You can heal their emotions. You are all powerful, and you have the capacity to heal everybody, like all at once, in a split, faster than a split second. But then when it comes to actually practicing praying for the sick, doing the stuff that the Spirit does, we're like, I don't know. I don't know where I, don't know where I fall on that. And so this, this morning really is about faith and, and the role that faith plays in physical healing. And there's so much baggage that comes along with this whenever we talk about physical healing. And so the goal this morning is to see Jesus uh, in the person of the Holy Spirit as a healer and that he's moved when we exhibit faith for healing and to see like what that actually looks like when we practice that. I think a lot of times we're, we're theologically kingdom-minded, but we're, for all intensive purposes, we're practically cessationists. Meaning um, we believe that the gifts have ceased or that God doesn't heal people like that anymore. That's why we have doctors. Th- those sorts of lines of thinking, which there's, there's nothing wrong with thinking that doctors can heal folks' bodies, right? There's nothing wrong thinking that. But I think that it sometimes can become this crutch for our faith. Well, if the doctor's going to heal them, then why should I go for it and pray for their healing that God, that God would heal them when it comes to praying for others? And basically this stuff with physical healing operates in two different kinds of, of realms, I think. And, and the one realm is that we're, we're desirous of healing for ourselves, you know, whatever that next level would be. We want to be healed people. We want to be flourishing people in our minds, in our bodies, in our spirits. We want to be fully alive, right? We want that for ourselves. And then when it comes to ministry or when it comes to others, we want to see healing for them as well. So what does that look like to pray for others for physical healing? What does that look like to pray that over ourselves? And so that's what we're going to look at this morning And we're going to read Luke 7, 1 through 10, if you wanted to turn there with me in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we've got Bibles on either side of the stage. You're welcome to one. It's our gift to you. We Love the Word of God. Feel like it's breath and get living water from the Word of God. The Holy Spirit reveals the Word of God to us. And so we read this. In Luke 7, verses 1 through 10, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, a Roman soldier's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. You've got this Roman leader, this Roman servant, uh, soldier, and he's got this sick servant. And he sends some of the chief priests, perhaps uh, some of the elders of the church to to go check out this Jesus guy and send for him because he's heard that Jesus can heal people's bodies. So they go. They came to Jesus. They pleaded earnestly with him. This man deserves to have you do this. who had been sent, returned to the house and found the servant well. It's a beautiful story. Lots to unpack in this story. I find it interesting that he sends these guys, these elders, to Jesus with a need for healing. And then these elders, they sort of ad-lib, just like preachers do. (laughs) And they put words in this guy's mouth that weren't originally there, right? They say... This man has has tithed, he has paid for the church, he he loves the Jews, he deserves to have you come and heal his servant. He deserves it. If If there's ever a guy who deserves to have his servant healed, it's this dude right here. He totally deserves it. And you see later on, the centurion sends word later and say, "Uh uh-uh, I didn't say that. Actually, I don't deserve. I don't deserve. But just say the word. That'll become important here in a little bit. Uh, pack, Pack that one away for just a bit. The first thing as we learn that the Holy Spirit is a healer and he's moved when we exhibit faith for healing is that healing is in a person and it's not in a formula. Healing is in a person and it's not in a formula. The centurion recognizes as he sends people to Jesus that healing is not in some sort of formula, like you say some sort of prayer, you, you tithe so much, you um, show up at so many food pantries, you, you do all these good things, and so you deserve to be healed. No, the centurion understands what we need to understand this morning, that healing is in a person, it's not in a formula. Healing is in a person, and his name is Jesus. Healing alone is found, healing is found in Jesus alone. He's the source. We see in Luke 9, 11, um, healing sort of ripples out from Jesus as he's doing ministry here on the earth. In, 9, 11, in Luke 9, 11, we're told that Jesus goes through, and th- there's many other verses in the New Testament that tell us that Jesus goes from town to town and he's healing All of their sick. Every person who has a need for healing from sickness is brought to Jesus, and Jesus heals them. Healing's in a person, not in a formula. And it ripples out from there to the twelve, the twelve disciples, and they're empowered to go heal the sick and raise the dead and drive out demons. And then healing from there flows to the 72, remember? And the 72 are sent out and they're given the same commission. They're, they're, they're commissioned to heal the sick, cleanse the leper, drive out demons, raise the dead. And I would say that the same mandate or commission flows to us. As followers of Jesus, the mandate has not changed. Were to be about the things that the Holy Spirit does and that we saw the Holy Spirit do through the person of Jesus. Healing is in a person. It's not in a formula. All through the healing stories in the New Testament, Jesus is healing people in all sorts of different ways. There's not one prayer that gets it done. Now, Jesus prays these really deep, theologically rich prayers when he heals people. Like, See, (laughs) like, come forth, get up here, (laughs) you know. (laughs) All of these theologically intelligent, intellectual prayers that he spent so much time just crafting special words to, 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 in the cauldron, you know, mixing them up. So if the combination is just right, then that person will, in fact, raise from the dead. No. You know, once Jesus was walking around, and this blind guy is like, "Hey, I, I'd really love to have my sight." And so, you know what Jesus does? Jesus uh, uh, bends low, he picks up some some sand and some dirt, and he spits in it, and he starts rolling it around his hands, and then he he breaks, <laughs> he breaks. What is it? The the third. Window, what is it called? The fourth wall. It's not a window, it's a wall. He breaks the fourth wall, and he takes the mud, and he's like, see, and he he rubs the mud in the blind guy's eye, and the blind guy's like, what is going on right now? I see people walking around like trees. There's not one formula for healing because healing's not there. We don't find physical healing in a formula or a special combination of words or a special prayer, healing is found in the person of Jesus. And that's important. That's important for our own healing and for those we minister to, for our loved ones when we think about, maybe we've received um, word from a sibling or a parent that the, the condition is terminal, it's cancer. You know, what, do we, what do we do with that when we think about physical healing, in their bodies, in those we love. Healing is found in a person, not in a formula. And I'm leaving that one hanging a little bit for what's coming next, which is that we view healing in the context of the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. And this is really important and a really um, deep part of, I believe, who God has made Sarah and I to be, and how he wants our church to operate in the stuff that the spirit does. We have to make space. We have to. We have to have a theology and a practice that makes space for when folks don't get healed. And Walt led us so well on Wednesday, and and leading us through what a lot of this looks like. You know when when you pray for the 500th time over your spouse or over your brother or over yourself and you pray all the right prayers. You pray that they would be saved, that they would be healed, that you would be healed physically and you just don't see change. Like there has has to be a framework for that that gives grace that view ourselves with a little bit of compassion and others with compassion. And though we don't see anything changing, just doesn't mean just because we don't see anything changing, it doesn't mean that it's not. that God is still working, that he's still worthy of worship, He's still worthy to be trusted, He's still supremely lovable. He's still in control. He's still amazing. Even though we can't see any results with our eyes. That's the real thing. The already in the not yet of the kingdom. What we mean by that is that when Jesus came to the earth, when he was born in obscurity in the middle of nowhere Bethlehem, when he died on a Roman cross for the forgiveness of sins and for our healing, we'll find here in a, in a second, and when he rose from the grave, defeating the power of death itself, the thing that is in sickness, yes, that he inaugurated and enacted the reign and the rule of God here on earth. He, he, it was like this, it was like this, um, a, the light, the striking of a match, like Jesus struck the match when he was set here. It inaugurated the reign and the rule of God. In the person of Jesus, we see the kingdom of God inaugurated and enacted. It started. And Jesus said all kinds of crazy things about the kingdom of God. He said it's at hand. It's near to you. It's close. It's kind of like a veil. If you, if you, if you permeate it, you can, you, can tu- you can almost touch it. It's within you, he said. And yet, we pray for people and sometimes we see them healed. I've seen God do all kinds of crazy stuff over the course of following Jesus. Some of you have the same testimony. You've seen God heal people's physical bodies. And when you see those things with your eyes, you, say, you can say the kingdom of God has come to that place or has come to that person. And yet, For all of the stories that we see God's healing breaking in and breaking through, there are more stories where we pray and we don't see change. Does that mean that the kingdom of God is not here? No. But what it does mean is that the kingdom is not fully here. The reign and rule of God is not fully here yet. And that's frustrating for us because we desire to be with Jesus. We desire to see sickness healed. We desire to see demons driven out, the dead raised, restored bodies, restored minds, restored hearts. We long to see all of that. If you have the Spirit of God living in you, there's an ache. The writer of Romans says it. We groan. Or is it Hebrews? Or both. We groan internally. We groan When we don't have the words, there's this ache in us for the fullness of the kingdom of God to come. Just reveal yourself, Jesus. Isn't it like that? It's like this universal sigh. (gasps) Come, Jesus. The church has been praying, come, Lord Jesus, in a universal sigh for 2,000 years. (gasps) Come, Lord Jesus, already. Come quickly. And so we have to, when we, think about, when we think about healing for ourselves, healing for our loved ones, when we minister in healing and physical healing, we have to have space for the already and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We have to. There are some circles who don't do it well at all. It's like, if that person is not healed, well then whose fault is it? Theirs for not having enough faith? I mean, come on. Can we be done with that already and just say, it's not that person's fault that they didn't get healed. It's it's not that person's fault that they died. You know, how far do you want to take that theology? Is Is it really their fault that death is a reality and was introduced through Adam and Eve way back in the beginning and that courses through all of our veins? No. We have to have a framework that says, Yes, I believe you, and yes, we will pray for healing. Yes, and often, and yet still have space to say, sometimes we just don't see it happen. And that's not a result of that person's lack of faith. Clear? Second of three thoughts here. Healing is central to salvation. Healing is central to salvation. When we see the Holy Spirit is a healer and that he's moved, when we exhibit faith for healing, we see that healing is central to salvation. The Greek word for healing is sozo. This word is used interchangeably with salvation. Same, same. Same, same in Greek. So. And Like in Mark tw- uh, 5.23, uh, pleading fervently with him, my little daughter is dying, he said, please come and lay your hands on her, sozo her, so she can live. You see that? In Luke 8, then those who had seen what happened told others how the demon-possessed man had been healed, sozoed. In Luke 19.9, Jesus said to him, this is Zacchaeus. Who remembers Zacchaeus? What do we know about Zacchaeus? He, his, he had no friends. He was a Jew. He worked for the Romans, the oppressive government. He was also we. He was a wee little man, wasn't it? We're told he was, he was wee in short. He's a wee little man. Zacchaeus was. I like Zacchaeus. Jesus said to him, Today, salvation, Sozo, there it is. Salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and to Sozo the loss. It's not. Um, There's no physical healing in that Luke 19.9 passage, but the same word is used as in Mark 5.23 when there is. And so this word sozo is interchangeable for healing and salvation. Healing is central to salvation. This word sozo means to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, from injury or peril. Healing is central to salvation. And when we come to pray for others for physical healing or for salvation, we're really doing the same thing. We're praying that Jesus would, the Holy Spirit would intercept this journey and move in this person's life. Move in our life. Save us, God. And so lastly, and here's where we're going to drill down, What is the deal with faith? What's the deal with faith? This is where I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to communicate some goods to us this morning. What is the role of faith when it comes to physical healing? And we're going to focus on the centurion here and his experience with Jesus His friends ad-lib a little bit. They say he deserves it. And then in verse 7, the centurion says this, this is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. So he edits them. But say the word. He says this to Jesus. Say the word and my servant will be healed for i am a man under authority with soldiers under me i tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes i say to my servant do this and he does it when jesus heard this he was amazed at him and turning to the crowd following him he said i tell you i have found i've not found such great faith even in all of israel then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well so what Kind of faith, and again, we're not looking for a formula for healing, but what sort of faith in this century, What is Jesus talking about? What sort of faith is Jesus referring to or looking for in us today? What is it about this centurion's words that moved Jesus' heart? And I picture Jesus with like a huge smile on his face here. Um, like this guy, like he, like Jesus knows that like this guy gets it. So what is it about the centurion's words that Jesus brings a smile to his face and moves his heart and causes the centurion's servant to be healed on the way? Like what is, like what's going on there? What role does faith play in, in physical healing Jordan Sang is a pastor of Blue Water Mission in Hawaii. Uh, Friends of ours, Joe and Joni, go to that church or used to. Um, They're in Austin now, aren't they? Yeah. And he says this about the role of faith in healing. I love this. God's main goal is to encourage us to trust his love so that power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing it. do you love that? Power flows most easily through those who fully trust his compassionate generosity in providing it. Okay, how many of you know that Jesus will take real faith wherever he can find it? A smidgen of it, just like... <laughs> The size of a mustard seed is enough for Jesus. And when he sees it, he pounces on it. What is is going on in the centurion that causes Jesus to turn and heal the servant on the way? I think it has something to do with what Jordan's saying is talking about here in trusting Jesus. You know, we can believe that God is is good, and it's that the good the goodness of God. Um, when when folks are healed, the good, the goodness of God is flowing in that person, and they're healed. And that can be all well and good. We can believe that Jesus is able to heal, but that is not faith. In other portions of the New Testament, we read that even the demons believe that about Jesus. Yeah? That's not faith yet. And I think what we see in the centurion's words here, when he's talking about authority and he's recognizing who Jesus is, he's like, You could do it from there. You don't have to come here to to do it, you don't even have to come into my house. After all, I'm not even worthy for you to stay here. He he says you could do it on the way. I I get it. I'm I'm a man of authority. I, I, I know that you could just say the word. But don't you hear in this that real faith, what the centurion is expressing to Jesus is that real faith Expects a yes, but is prepared for a no. That sometimes what we see as the best solution to the problem or the sickness or the financial difficulty or whatever it is isn't always God's best solution. Do you see that in the, in the scripture? How the centurion says, I don't even deserve for you to be under my roof, but you could just say the word and heal him on the way. Can you hear that? It's not, it's not, um, it's not stretching the text in any way. And that's why Jesus pounces on that and heals the servant on the way, because real faith expects a yes, but prepares for a no. Real faith, that faith that Jesus takes and turns the the belief into faith in us, if faith is a gift that he gives Real faith says, and the centurion is saying it right here in the scripture. Real faith is saying, even if you don't, Jesus, even if you don't, even if you don't choose to break through, I still will trust you. I still will worship you. I still will love you because you're worthy. Not because of what you can do for me. But because of who you are, even if you don't come through the way that I think that you should come through for me in this situation, you are worthy. You are supremely lovable. You you are still amazing, even though the situation isn't. And that is what Jesus calls real faith. That's authentic faith. That's it. That's the whole thing. Because how many of us have hardship that we're experiencing right now, in this moment? We don't know how God is going to choose to act in that situation, in that experience, with our loved one, with our own healing. We don't know how that's going to turn out. Jesus sees it from the beginning to the end, all in one glance. And he knows. He knows what is best for us in the moment. Does that mean that we don't have the right to say, I would have done it different, you know? No, I was talking with friends the other night. We had friends over for dinner, and my friend, who is coming through a a particularly difficult season and experiencing all kinds of the, the depth of loss and hardship in his journey, and he turned and he looked at me and he said, you know, I think God's a pretty big boy. I think he can deal with it. He can deal with our doubts. He says, bring them. Bring all of them. Bring them to the throne. Bring your doubts. Bring your uncertainty. Bring your anger. Bring all of it. And lay it at the foot of the cross. And see what God will do with that type of faith. Ah, See what God will do with that type of faith, a faith that is authentic enough and real enough to say, God, I'm mad at you right now. I don't understand why you took this person from my life. I don't understand why I always seem to come up short with money. I don't understand why my spouse is the way that she is, why my spouse is the way that he is. I don't understand why my kids just won't obey. I don't understand why... um, Why my child is deaf. I don't understand why all of these things. I don't understand God. I'm mad. That's the type of faith that Jesus says is real and honored. He loves that actually. He's so not like people. He's so different than people. People were like, "Ugh, I'm mad at you," and they're like, "Ugh, I'm mad at you." It's not lovely about the heart of God that we're like, "Ugh, I'm mad at you." And He's like, "I love you. I love you so much. I love you so much. Come here. I love you so much. Come, come, cry, come, cry, come, weep, come, come, be, come, draw nearer to Me in your anger. Don't, don't resent. Don't, don't walk away from the throne. Don't do it. Stay close." Real faith, real faith, this centurion's faith, moves Jesus to respond and heal. Real faith says, even if you don't do it, I still trust you. Even if you don't come through, I still worship you. And I'm wondering, how many of us this morning need to be encouraged there? We need to see God move. We need to see God act. we love for Him to heal, but we're just not there yet to say, even if you don't, I still love you. I still worship you. I still trust you. You're still worthy. You're still on the throne. You're still in control. And so as we move into ministry, we're going to talk, we're going to minister. How do we do this then? How do we do this? This is impossible to do without the Holy Spirit as our healer. It's impossible. Just say the word, Jesus, from where you are. Just say the word. Why don't you join me in standing? Maybe you've been suffering from a sickness Maybe you've come up against a hardship that is too much to bear. Whether it's in your own situation or maybe a coworker or a family relationship that has just become, uh, you know, those situ- do you know what I'm talking? Those ones that are just like too heavy to bear. They're just on your shoulders. And you're like, my shoulders are not broad enough to carry this thing any longer. Have you given it to God? Have you given it to him? Do you have a faith like that of the centurion? He says, even if you don't, I still trust you. A faith that trusts God with your situation, to trust him with it,